to the book of Jeremiah, different chapter, but same book. Jeremiah chapter number 42. Jeremiah chapter 42. Verse number 20 is our text this morning. We'll look at nearly all of the chapter later on, but our focus for now is what is said here in verse 20. For ye dissemble in your hearts when ye sent me unto the Lord your God, saying, Pray for us unto the Lord our God, and according unto all that the Lord our God shall say, so declare unto us, and we will do it. It is so common to hear people say, we want to know the truth. Just tell it like it is. Well, the problem with that is they're not always honest when they say that. And here is a good example of what we're talking about this morning. And really, we need a little bit of background information here. And uh, when we think about the book of Jeremiah, it's not divided up chronologically, so you have to look at the events that are mentioned in order to make the connection. But from chapter number 40 through chapter 44, this is all addressed to Israel after the fall of Judah. That is when they were conquered by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and here in chapter number 42, this particular message is, is addressed to the remnant that was left in the land. Nebuchadnezzar comes in, of course, and he beats their ears down, takes them into captivity, destroys them by the thousands upon thousands. And, but there is a small remnant left there in the land and so Jeremiah is speaking in regards to those people that, that are left. And I want you to go back now to verse number 1. And I want you to notice a request that these people made. He alludes to it in our text. But here's the actual request. It says in verse 1 that all of the people from the least even unto the greatest, that if everybody there came near and said unto Jeremiah the prophet, Let we beseech thee, our supplication be accepted before thee, and pray for us unto the Lord thy God, even for all of this remnant, for we are left but a few of many, as thine eyes do behold us, that the Lord thy God may show us the way wherein we may walk. And the thing we may do. Now, notice these people are making a request to the preacher, to the prophet, that he will, number one, pray for them. And number two, that he'll provide guidance for them by having him to go to the Lord and to inquire of the Lord and find out exactly what it is God would have them to do. Now, boy, all of this sounds great, right? I mean, this is every pastor's dream 
people say, you know, we want you to show us from the Word of God exactly what it is that God wants us to do. But again, the problem is people are not always sincere as we see throughout the Bible. The truth of the matter is, in this story, the people had already made up their mind what they were going to do. They had already decided that they were going to flee into Egypt, which was contrary to what God wanted them to do, Egypt being a type of the world. And they thought, you know, we're going to get out of this mess. We'll just go down into Egypt. And so, evidently, what they're wanting is for the prophet to ratify their decision. And they, so they've got their mind made up. But they're saying, we want you to tell it like it is. Tell us what God wants. Well, notice his response in verse number 4. Jeremiah says to the people, I have heard you. Behold, I will pray unto the Lord your God according to your words, and it shall come to pass that whatsoever thing the Lord shall answer you, I will declare it unto you, I will keep nothing back from you. Well, I, I wish every Baptist preacher in the land would read that verse every Sunday morning and think about what it said, I will keep nothing back from you. I want to tell it like it is. I'm going to share with you what the Word of God has to say about it. And so, uh, this is his response to their request. You know, it's noteworthy to me, at least, that he uh, began to go to the Lord and to pray and inquire of the Lord uh, and be advised of the Lord before he responded to them. You, you know, he could have said, you know... I don't really need to pray about this. I've already got it figured out. I know what you ought to do. I don't need any special revelation from heaven. Uh, and he could have just said, I can answer you just off the cuff. Here's the answer. This is what I want you to do or think you ought to do. But he made certain that he heard from the Lord before he gave them the message. But there's something else here. He waited ten days before this happened. So, you know, on his part, he was wanting to know of a certainty that this is what God wants. Always important for any preacher. Number two, this is a test for those people. I mean, you know, people tend to get very impatient and, you know, they want to take off and, uh, and leave before they get the answer. Probably some folks nearly every Sunday morning, you know, get antsy like that, you know, and they, they don't care, you know, what's going to be said later. They just want out of there instead of really hearing from God. So they are put to the test. There's a 10-day waiting period here. And now notice, as he says, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to hold back nothing. I'm going to tell it like it is. I'm going to tell you exactly what God has said. Notice the reaction of the people in verse 5 and 6. And they said to Jeremiah, The Lord be a true and faithful witness between us. Now notice, if we do not even according to all things for the which the Lord thy God shall send thee to us. Now notice carefully what they're saying. Whether it be good or whether it be evil, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God, to whom we send thee, that it may be well with us, 
when we obey the voice of the Lord our God, you might not know it now, but that statement is going to come back to haunt them in a big-time way later on. They said, regardless of what the Lord says, whether it appears good or bad, whatever it is, we're willing to do it. We're not going to hold back anything. We're going to give God everything. And the reason that we're going to obey the Lord is because it will be well with us. You see, these people know what the right answer ought to be. They know what they ought to do. And so this is their reaction to Jeremiah. Now, beginning in verse 7, on down through verse 18, we see the report from Jeremiah. This is the report, and it's twofold. You can sum all of these verses up into two areas. I'm not going to read all of the verses, but he's basically saying two things. Number one, in verses 7 through 12, he tells them that they would be blessed if they stayed. If they stayed in the land. Remember, God has allowed the Babylonians to come in upon them and and to chastise them as a result of their sinfulness. They're there in order that they might learn a lesson. And as far as the remnant is concerned, God has already promised you stay there. In fact, he used this terminology. He said, Nebuchadnezzar is my servant, and, and I want you to stay there in the land. Take your licks. Take your punishment. And it'll be well with you. I will bless you. You stay in the land. Don't you try to run from me. Don't you try to get out of this. You just stay right there where I put you, and I'll work everything out. And so there is this promise here that they'll be blessed if they stay. Now, verse number 13 on through verse 18, he tells them they're going to be cursed if they go. If they flee into Egypt, you know, that ought to serve as a warning to every single one of us here. Before we make a move of any kind, of any kind, we better inquire the Lord and make sure he's in it. It was, uh, I guess, funny. Brother Les had a prayer request this week about a career thing. And, you know, naturally... uh, like everybody else, I put praying on there. I told Les a while ago, I said, I put praying on there as my response, but I almost put praying unless this involves moving, and then I'm not going to pray. <laughs> so I found, I found out it doesn't involve moving away, so I'm going I'm to keep praying for his, uh, for his career. But you know, the fact, the fact remains, there's so many people that just, just up and move. And all Satan has to do to get them out of the will of God is dangle a, you know, a pay raise before them and say, you know, here, man, just, you know, here, I'll give you a raise. I'll give you a promotion. All you've got to do is just move your family somewhere. I, I'll never forget, I mean, almost immediately after I surrendered to preach, I had a job offer in Jackson, Mississippi, and I'll tell you, it was mind-boggling in comparison to the job I had. This was, you talk about a step up. I mean, this was ten stories up from what I would have had there. And I'll never forget going to my pastor and telling him, I said, you know, I, I think we're going to move to Jackson, Mississippi. 
And he, he looked at me and his face turned white and he said, I tell you, I'm going to be praying you don't. And, and, and I was offended at first. I thought, what are you talking about? This is going to be a great, uh, uh, great promotion for us. And he said, what are you going to do for a church? Do you know of any good churches down there? I said, oh, I don't know anything about it, but maybe I can find one. He said, you don't even know? I said, no, I don't know, but maybe if there's not any, I'll start one. Who knows? I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so he was praying that I didn't go, and as it turned out, I made the choice that I wasn't going, one of the best choices I've ever made in my life. And But I'm telling you, it's so easy. And by the way, it's easy for pastors. You know, things all of a sudden, you know, honeymoon is over in a church, and all of a sudden the going gets rough, and everybody's not as sweet and cooperative as they used to be. And so, you know, the preacher decides, well, I, I think God's through with me. Here, you know, and, and so they send out their resume and start looking for other churches. You know, I've often said that I could preach the Word of God in any, any state in the Union. I could preach the Word of God up there in the hills of the Ozarks and, you know, and uh, be right there on the lake. And uh, we could have spent all these years being around our family up there. Of course, they're all dead and gone now, but uh, nearly... But the fact of the matter is, God not only called me to preach, God wanted me to do what I do in a certain place. I never thought it would be Texas, but for 28 years now, that's, you know, about, that's, that's where it's been. And I plan on staying here the rest of my life. I, I don't have any plans on moving whatsoever. But, but the fact of the matter is, and what I'm trying to tell you is, a lot of people understand how important that is for the pastor and his family Look, it ought to be that important to you. The most important decision that you'll ever make is who uh, is trusting Christ as your Savior. The next one is who you marry. And the third one, which might almost be in a tie with the second, is the church where God wants you to be. You need to be where God wants you to be. That's important. Don't make any moves until you've consulted with the Lord. Whether it has to do with your residence or your job or your church or whatever it is, you better make certain that it's God's will. These people are determined that they're going to Egypt. It'll be better for us if we get in Egypt. It'll be safer down there than it is here. We'll get away from Nebuchadnezzar. We'll get away from these Babylonians and we'll go down to Egypt, and that way, you know, we'll not only survive, we can thrive under those conditions. Well, verse 19, he gives them, having given them the report, you're going to be blessed if you stay, you're going to be cursed if you go. Notice the reminder that he gives, and this takes us back where we started. When they came to him and said to him, we want you to pray for us, and we want you to give us instruction from the Lord. And here's the reminder. The Lord hath said concerning you, O ye remnant of Judah, go ye not into Egypt. Know certainly that I have admonished you this day, for ye dissemble in your hearts when ye sent me, Unto the Lord your God, saying, Pray for us unto the Lord our God, and according to all that the Lord our God shall say, so declare unto us, and we will do it. 
And now I have this day declared it to you. I, I didn't hold anything back, he says. I've, I've done exactly what you told me to do. You wanted me to find out what God has to say about this, and that is what I've done, but ye have not obeyed the voice of the Lord. Now, wait a minute. It hasn't happened. They haven't moved yet. It's almost as though Jeremiah knew what they were going to do. He knew they were not going to respond. You have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God, nor anything for the which He hath sent me unto you. Now therefore know certainly that ye shall die by the sword, by the famine and by the pestilence, in the place whither ye desire to go and to sojourn. Wow, what an indictment against God's people. He's reminding them of their plea. They wanted him to pray. They wanted him to relate God's will. He did that, even though he knew they were not going to obey. You know, it's so easy for, for a pastor, because after a while you get to know the people and you know what is acceptable and what's not to them. And so after a while it's real easy to adjust your message to the temperature of their desire. You know, boy, you know, if I say this, they'll say amen, hallelujah, whatever, you know, and they get all excited. But if I get on that over, and by the way, by the way, you know, I, I know if I deal with those issues, they're not going to listen to me anyway. I'll guarantee you, there's some sermons I could preach this morning. I can tell you right now, 90% of the church wouldn't pay one bit of attention to what I said, even though it was all true. And I know that. But you better believe I ain't going to quit preaching it. He said, I didn't hold anything back from you. I told you the truth in this regards. And we, listen, this ought to be a warning to all of us. We need to make this personal. This little piece of history here, this portion of God's Word ought to be a stern warning and, and that, that boils down to this. God will not tolerate sin, and all sin, all disobedience is sin. I said at the very beginning, it's common to hear people say, we want to know the truth, tell it like it is, even though we know that's not exactly what they mean. Even though we know people are not always honest. They don't want to hear the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You know, it might sound spiritual for someone to say, you know, that's right, preacher, or tell it like it is, or amen, or preach on, you know. That might sound spiritual, but we better mean what we say when we make a statement like that. Most churches in America today are so far astray from the truth, they wouldn't know the truth when they heard it. A lot of Christians are in the same boat. They say, tell it like it is, but what they really mean is, We want you to tell it like it is, but only in regards to certain subjects that do not affect us. And the question is, do we really want to hear the truth? what, What about it? Let's take a little test this morning. Do you really want the preacher to tell it like it is? Do you really want to know what the Bible says when it comes to the matter of morals, for example? 
You better be careful how you answer because your idea of what constitutes good morals might be miles away from the truth. And it's obvious that a lot of people today, they believe just about anything whatsoever goes, that there are no limits, there are no boundaries. Boy, it really gets quiet when you talk about morals, and especially if you want to narrow it down and give some examples. Isn't it strange? Let me, uh, let me, I want to go at this in kind of an odd way. You know, whenever we think about the kind of leadership that we need in Washington, and someone, uh, and I'm just giving you my opinion, this isn't found in the Bible anywhere, but this is my opinion. Someone like Ted Cruz who think, man, he's saying all of the right things. This is the kind of guy that we need. And what happens? It, it's, the greatest attack doesn't come from the other party. It comes from the old heads in his own party. And that just amazes me. It's like they're cutting their throat. Now, I said all of that to say this. Isn't it amazing when we talk about morals? And I understand we can go to extremes in, you know, in any direction. Listen, I've, I've heard people over the years mock the Amish people for the modesty of the way the women dress. Instead of saying, you know, I don't, I don't really agree with the, their extreme... Why isn't anybody clapping their hands saying more power to them? At least they're concerned about modesty. I'm telling you what, if the Baptist preachers of the last generation could see the mess our churches are in today and what's going on, they'd faint dead away. It is unbelievable what has happened in one generation Now anything goes, and it's not just anything goes out there somewhere, just about anything goes in the church. And we don't want to deal with it. We don't want to hear that, do we? Because after all, the way we're dressed doesn't offend anybody else, you know. Let the, let, you know, your neckline plunge down to your navel and it doesn't offend anybody else in the church. Well, I'm telling you, God's offended. Some of you need to put a few inches on your skirts and your dresses and things like that and get it down to the modest point. It's nonsense. And I'm not saying that because I want to embarrass anyone or hurt anyone. I'm telling you, modesty matters to God. By the way, if you, if you really knew, well, I won't even go there. <laughs> Some of you know what I'm thinking, though. If you could see yourself through the eyes of the opposite sex, some of you would make some changes. Well, there's the morals and the modesty. Now we've got this thing of marriage, don't we? Do we really want to hear the truth about marriage? I mean, do we want preachers to really tell it like it is? Do we want the the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth about, about marriage? It's amazing the length that people go to trying to justify it. And now, 
Now we have redefined it, the first generation in the history of the world. Let me tell you, you don't have the right to redefine marriage. God is the one that established marriage. He defined what marriage is. You have no right to try to redefine it. And now some nitwit is suing the Bible publishers for millions of dollars because they published a Bible that condemns their lifestyle. I love what Bev said. Well, at least, at least that person recognizes the Bible condemns it because a lot of folks haven't woke up to that yet. They try to explain it away, but there's no explaining it away. It is what it is, and the Bible condemns homosexuality. Some people don't want to hear it because it doesn't fit with their lifestyle. Then there's a matter of moderation. I'm telling you, most people today are out of control in a lot of different ways out of control. Uh, when's the last time we ever heard a sermon on the subject of temperance? Isn't that one of the part of the fruit of the spirit? Be temperate in all things, really. Who are we kidding? You know, we look at those nine different graces that make up the fruit of the spirit, and the, that starts out. You know, we, we'd all say amen to this: the fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace. Hallelujah, brother! Preach on that. That's what we. That's what we need. Yeah, we're in the mess we're in today. People don't don't love each other like they ought to. Yeah, right. Agreed. We need love. We need joy. We love peace. But what about when we get down there to temperance as being a part of the fruit of the spirit? And why is it we don't get all excited about that? Why is it, you know, somebody says, well, you need to preach another message on love or joy or whatever. How about one on temperance? We're out of control in a lot of different ways. Then there's the matter of ministry. Do we really want to hear the truth when it comes to the matter of Christian ministry? You know, sometimes we forget that, that sin can be a sin of commission or a sin of omission. And a lot of folks can say, you know, I've got all of my ducks in a row, you know, in regards to all of those things that you've mentioned. Boy, you know, I'm modest at all time. I'm temperate in all things. I, you know, I'm, I've really got it under control. I don't do those things that the world does. I'm different. But the problem is you don't do anything else anyway. I've often said, and I know some won't like it, I'd rather have somebody that smokes and sings in the choir as somebody that never smoked a cigarette in their life and don't do anything else for God. You say, I don't agree with that. Well, that's all right. We'll get around to your sin later. Isn't that some? Boy, I'll tell you what, I thought there was a good Christian. I saw him smoke the other day, and you just, you killing yourself with a knife and a fork. What in God's name are you talking about? There's more people dying from being overweight than there are from smoking or casual drinking. And I'm, look, I'm not putting my approval. It doesn't matter what my approval is anyway. 
Is what does God say? And what I'm trying to say is, it's just not right for us to scream and yell that we need to condemn this and condemn that and condemn the other, and then the gate is open and the barrier's down, and we do whatever we want to do in regards to all of these other things, and we don't want to do anything by way of, of serving God, getting involved in the service of the Lord. Yeah, but you said we need some standards for those that are going to be... Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. But I'm telling you what, if we made the standard so high as where it ought to be and just, you know, put it right exactly where it ought, we'd all be disqualified. Don't, don't kid yourself. We're all so far from perfect that none of us would ever qualify. Then there's materialism. Do we want to hear the truth about materialism? Some of you are getting hungry now. You're wanting to go eat about now, right? Let's hurry up and get out of here. You know, contentment is something that's almost unheard of today. We have more and we are less satisfied than we've ever been before. We just totally ignore what the Bible says about thou shalt not covet and what the Bible says about being content. But we just ignore that. Right? I mean, you know, that's, that's not a part of the biggie sins, you know, at least in our mind. Well, wait a minute. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. That's pretty bad. And we live in this materialistic age and we don't want to hear anything about it. Let me add one more to this. There's also the matter of, I'm going to call it misfortune, because it fits in with the, with the outline of alliteration, but, uh, but it makes the point. Misfortune. So what do you mean by that? You know, most people don't hear the truth about misfortune, and by that I mean about their suffering and their trials and all of those things that we'll understand better by and by, the things that hurt us. Most people don't hear the truth about that. And the problem with most of us, and there are people that are angry, they're bitter at God even, because they feel like it is unfair for God to have let this happen to them. Well, it's just unfair. God let this happen. I deserve more. I deserve better. I deserve bigger than that. You know where that came from? That came from the nonsense you probably learned in public school about self-love, self-esteem, and all of that. That you, you, you are somebody special. No, no, you're a dirty, rotten, no good, lousy sinner just like me and everybody else. We don't deserve anything. And let me tell you, regardless of how bad it gets, my wife runs off with the mailman. Is that a man or a woman that delivers the mail? I, And if Sonny steals every penny in my bank account and the doctor tells me I've got cancer and I'm not going to make it another six months, now all of that would be horrible, terrible, bad news, right? I mean, let's face it. But I never have, I never have the right to accuse God of being unfair to me. Never. And so many times, we don't want to hear the truth about, about that. We don't want to hear somebody say, Oh, I want to tell you how to feel good about yourself, how you can live your best life now. That's why the building's full down there. Yeah, that's, what, that's what people want to hear. They don't want to hear the truth. 
You know, let me tell you something maybe you've never thought about, and I'm going, I'm going to wrap it up. You know, if you despise and disobey the truth of God's Word, and I hope I've covered enough areas to help you see that you do probably in some way, if you despise and disobey the truth of God's Word, you have no right to call anybody a hypocrite. That's a favorite thing for the world to do. They look at us Christians and say, oh, you're just a bunch of hypocrites. Let me tell you, what right do they have to call us hypocrites? Well, listen carefully. Because if they're right, their philosophy of life, if it's right, they have no right in calling anyone else a hypocrite or blaming anyone else for anything Because according to their philosophy, everybody is right. That's the philosophy of pluralism. Everybody's right. You don't condemn anybody. One viewpoint's just as good as another viewpoint. Let me tell you, if that is true, then we are all in the same boat in the same cesspool. We wouldn't have any right to call anybody a hypocrite. One of the reasons why they like to put that tag on us and call us hypocrites and accuse us of being hateful and unloving and unkind is in order to try to get the attention off of them and their their misbehavior. A few years ago, this church dodged a bullet. Even though, even though one, at least one family got hit. And, and it took them down. We had a member in a position where he shouldn't have been who started a dangerous trend. He accused us as a church and me as the pastor, not to my face, But he accused us of caring more about rules than we do about people. Let me tell you something. If you care about people, you better care about rules. And whenever I'm talking about rules, I'm talking about the rules that God has established. You see, God has set certain boundaries And God has put these limitations on our life for our own good. That's why the psalmist said, it's good for me to draw near unto the Lord. It's for our good. God is telling Israel, look, I know it's bad now. I understand. It's supposed to be bad now. I let Nebuchadnezzar come in there. I know it's bad. Stay right where you are. You take your spanking. You stay right there, and I'm going to work it out. Instead of doing that, they said, we're out of here. We're going to Egypt. Oh, listen, you read the next chapter, and you'll see they didn't get by with that. We never sinned successfully. And God puts these boundaries in our life for our own good, and if, we're, if we've got any wisdom whatsoever, we'll... We'll stay within the confines of the boundaries that God has set in His Word. Now think about what these people said. Preacher, 
pray for us. We're really concerned about our nation. And preacher, we don't want you to just pray for us. Preacher, we want you to go, go to God in prayer and find out from God exactly what He wants us to do. Would, would you do that? And then come and tell us what God wants us to do. Jeremiah said, I'll do that. I'm not going to hold back anything from you. I'm going, to, I'm going to tell it like it is. I'm going to give you exactly what you asked for. I'm going to tell you exactly what God wants. And they made a promise. A promise they didn't keep. They said, you tell us what God wants and we will do it. And they didn't. The most dangerous thing that I know of that you can do is to lie to God and tell God you'll do something that you don't intend to do. It could cost you your life. That was the case with Ananias and Sapphira. By the way, these are the people, listen, these are God's people. These are the people that, that Solomon wrote there in Ecclesiastes when he said it's better to, better to not vow than to vow and not pay. And these people made a promise to God that they didn't keep. And it cost them dearly. And the same thing's true of us, folks. You know, it's time we get honest about ourselves. I can stand up here. It's so easy for me to judge everybody else. I mean, I can just go down the row there. I get old Kenneth over here, and I can point out something about Kenneth. And there's my son-in-law, Eric. I get him. Yeah, I, I just really easy for me to do that. Of course, a few people I'm going to leave off that list. But you know where my focus needs to be? It needs to be on this this guy right here. Examine yourself, the Bible says. And boy, whenever we do, and when we make that promise to God, whatever it takes, Lord, I'll trade sunshine for rain and sorrow for pain. Whatever it takes, Lord, to draw closer to Thee. Whatever it takes, I'm ready. You better mean that. Because God's not playing games. You know, all of this would sound terribly discouraging were it not for the fact that we know it's all coming from the same God that loved us enough to give His Son. God's not trying to hurt you. God's wanting to help you. Let Him help you this morning. Let's stand together. Father, we pray that each and every one of us as Christians will take this as a warning to our manner of life, that we'll be honest about the way that we live that we'll stop trying to judge one another and that we'll look at ourselves and that we'll honestly draw near unto you and to follow the teaching of your word. And, Lord, today for those that are here that are unsaved, have no hope of heaven in their heart, no joy of forgiveness in their soul, They put on that funny face and they try to enjoy life. And yet, late at night, maybe when they've gone to bed there in the darkness of the night, there's that fear and that loneliness. And they begin to realize that something is really missing. Help them to see this morning that that something is a somebody. And that somebody's Jesus. 
And I pray this morning they might trust Him as their Lord and their Savior and live for Him throughout the days of their life. For we beg it in Jesus' name.